You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. That is active and living, and I pray that right now, through your Holy Spirit, that you would minister to each heart here in a very personal and unique way, in a way that transforms us for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you've ever been to Austin, Texas, you know that the city of Austin has a slogan where they say that their goal is, quote, to keep Austin weird. It's a slogan that, if you've ever been to the city, it's painted on walls, it's printed on merch, it's embraced by all of their citizens who are committed to making sure that the city of Austin is set apart, that rather than it blending in, that it stands out amongst all the other cities in the state of Texas. And the reason I share that with you this morning is I believe that when it comes to the church, that God wants us to adopt a similar slogan, that Rather than God wanting us to look just like everybody else around us, that he wants us to keep Christianity weird. That rather than God wanting us to blend in, he wants us to stand out. He wants us to be unique. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be set apart from the world in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation. That when people look at our lives, it causes them to stop and say, why are you the way that you are? I think of Jesus' prayer in John 17, where essentially he says, God, I pray that they will be in the world, but not of the world. He would later go on to say that as Christians, you are called to be salt of the earth, light to the world. We're to be a city, he says, that is on a hill, a city that is set apart, a city that represents the kingdom of God in such a way that people actually get a taste of what heaven is like right here and right now. Guys, this is what it actually means to be the church. The church, despite what you have been told, is not a building. 
The church is not an event. The church is not a service. It's not a it's not kind of this classroom where you're supposed to come together every now and then and just get some uh, some content, spiritual content downloaded into your minds. But rather, whenever we look in the scriptures, what we find is the church is God's people, saved by God's power, and dwelt with God's presence, and sent out for God's purpose. And that purpose is to live in such a way that we actually see God's kingdom come and His will being done right here, just as it is in heaven. This is why the crossing church exists. It is to keep Christianity weird. It'd be good shirts, by the way, for a church. Like, let's just get crossing t-shirts that say, we're here to keep Christianity weird. We're to live in such a way. Awesome. We're to live in such a way that when people look at our lives, they see something that's very different about us. Something that that bears, in the words of Jesus, witness to the reality that he is actually alive. That he really did get out of the grave, and he lives in us right now through his Holy Spirit. And because the preacher of Hebrews knows this is what the church is meant to be like, and because he knows the church is tempted to drift from this reality, because he knows that we're tempted to compromise, which is especially in, in seasons of suffering where we're tempted to kind of pull back or to try to be as relevant or cool or, or as normal as we possibly can be. Because he knows that, that we tend to, as the church, to wonder, to forget our way and compromise in our faith. What he does is after 12 long, very dense chapters, he says, I want to show you in light of everything I've just said, in light of who God is and what he's done for you in Christ, this is how you are now called to live. And in one chapter... He is going to give us 10 things, 10 imperatives, 10 essentials that we need to adopt if we're going to keep Christianity weird, to ensure that rather than compromising or or blending into the rest of the world, that we stand out in such a way that is for our good and ultimately for God's glory. And if you're nervous, if you're like, oh my gosh, Jared has 10 points today. We're never going to get out of here. Let me just put your anxiety, put you, you know, look, here's the thing. I'm going to break the sermon up. I'm going to do kind of uh, five imperatives this week. We'll talk about five more imperatives next week. And so this is Keep Christianity Weird, part one. Next Sunday will be Keep Christianity Weird, part two. And that's how we're going to end this book of Hebrews before we go into our summer series. And the first thing I want you to see if you're taking notes is this. A lot of everything the preacher has just finished saying, a lot of who God is and what he's done in Christ, if we're going to keep Christianity weird, if we're going to be a church that is set apart, for the purposes of God, if we're going to transform the community around us, the first thing that has to be true of us is we have to be a people who love like family. Look with me in verse 1. He says, keep on loving one another as what? As brothers and sisters. Now, we throw this around a lot, don't we? We say things like, what's up, brother? Right? Or I love you, sister. But think about how radical this really is. How many of you in here, raise your hand, how many of you in here have a brother or a sister? Raise your hand. Hey, almost everybody in here. How many of you have ever been upset with a brother or sister? Raise your hand. My brother was in the first service on the back row, by the way. Um, and um, I didn't see him at first, but I saw him and it reminded me while we were in the first service that whenever we were young, uh, we were playing, I think I was probably seven years old. We were playing Nintendo, RBI baseball on Nintendo is what we were playing. And once again, he was beating me down, and it was driving me crazy. And so as a seven-year-old, I thought the logical response was to go into the kitchen to grab a butter knife and throw it at his face as hard as I could. (laughs) That's one of the reasons I believe in total depravity, by the way, that we are born (laughs) sinful, broken people. Nobody taught me how to do that. It was just out of the overflow of my heart. 
there are many times that I have hurt my brother. And there are times my brother has hurt me. There are times I've disappointed my brother and times where he's disappointed me. There are times where, where I have just not cared well for him. He's not cared well for me. But here's the deal. He keeps showing up. We keep talking to one another. Praying for one another. Spending time with one another. We're actually going to be going on vacation together in, in a couple weeks. And why is that? Because we are family. Like that's what family does. Rather than just saying like, man, because, you know, I don't like you anymore because you annoyed me or because you're not like me. I'm just going to like go somewhere else. No, like family sticks it out. I mean, you think about the way if you don't have brothers and sisters, maybe think about your own kids. Sometimes your kids will act the fool. And when they do, you don't be like, okay, I'm going to trade you in. I'm going to upgrade you, right, for another kid. You may want to do that at times, but you don't do that. You would still die for them. Why? Because you are family. When you read the scriptures, what it says is that we are family. If we are sons and daughters of God, we are brothers and sisters, and we are called, if we're going to keep Christianity weird, we are called to love one another with the same type of love we have for our own biological siblings, with an unconditional love, a forgiving love, a steadfast love. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John says, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who, anyone who loves God, excuse me, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is why Paul goes on to say in Corinthians that it doesn't matter what we have as a church. If we don't have love, we have nothing. Why? Because as Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this the world will know you're my disciples. By what? By the love you have for one another. Think about that. Jesus says, you want to stand out. You want to look unique. You want people to look at you and say, why are you the way that you are? You want people to look at you and know that you're a disciple. He said, it's going to happen by the love that you have for one another. And so if we're going to stand out, if we're going to live in a way that gives people a taste of heaven right here on earth, then listen, in a flaky, non-committal, self-seeking society, we need to continually choose love. Rather than treating the church like a social club, or rather than treating it kind of like a dating site. And you know what I mean by that? A dating site, you get on there and you're like, I want a person with this kind of hair and this type of build and these type of interests. Like, like that's not the way the church works. The church is not a place where we just go and love people who are like us. That, that, the world does that. There's nothing different between you and someone else if you only like somebody and love somebody who is just like you. Like the true test of, of love or of a Christian, according to Jesus, is actually enemy love. It's when you love those who frustrate you, who annoy you, who at times even hurt you. Like this is the call. You know, we don't get to choose who our biological family is, right? You didn't choose who your brothers and your sisters were. You didn't choose who your mom or dad were but you loved them anyway. It's the same way in the church. You're not going to always be able to choose who all is in, who all is out, but whoever is here, that's who we are called to love. And by doing that, we keep Christianity weird. Secondly, not only are we called to love like family, but we're also called to show hospitality. Look in verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The word that is used here for hospitality comes from the Greek word philoxenia, which literally means, get this, it literally means to receive a stranger into your home. 
Now that's weird. Can we agree? Like anybody in here making that a normal practice in your life? Like trying to find strangers that you can welcome into your home? Most of us, we do not do this. And yet this should actually be a practice in the church. As weird as it seems, as scary as it seems, as risky at times, it may seem like we are to welcome people into our homes, people at times that we don't even know that well, who can do nothing for us. And why is that? Because this, I feel like more than really anything else, it it demands a gospel explanation. Like it causes people to look at us and say like, man, again, why are you the way you are? Why would you ever welcome this person into your life who you really know nothing about and you still choose to love them like family? You know, over the years, we have been able to minister to Muslims in our home uh, who've moved here from Ethiopia, Kenya, really from all over the world. Sometimes we have people in our home that we know really well. Sometimes we have people in our home that we do not know at all. I remember uh, several years ago, I was uh, actually at the house and I was painting some cabinets. I was there all by myself. And all of a sudden, from like somewhere else in the home, I heard uh, a voice that says, Pastor Jerry. And uh, that's what our Muslim friends call me. They can't say the D, I guess. It's always Pastor Jerry. And it was, I recognized the voice. It was Haji. And then Haji walks into the room. Fortunately, I, I was clothed and, and decent, which I mean, why would I not be who uh, does cabinets in the nude? But like, anyways... So it's like, I am, uh, I'm standing there, and in walks Haji, and then right behind her is Tamrat and Hafiza, a couple I'd never met in my entire life. And we sat down, and we had some coffee together, and it actually ended up being a beautiful conversation, and it, it actually ended up causing us to have a, a relationship still going today, five years later. They've been in our church several times. Uh, there was a moment where I remember Hafiza was really, really sick, and before they even went to the doctor, she was like, we need to go and have the pastor of that church to pray for us. They don't even worship the same God we do, but they saw something different in us. And I remember one time, uh, Brian, you might have been with me for this. I can't remember. Were you there when we delivered the washing machine and dryer? Was that? Okay, yeah, you were there for that. It's like, I remember he said to me, he said, more than any sermon you've preached, it's been your life that has had the biggest impact on me. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the hospitality. Like that demanded an explanation. Listen, I don't share that anyway to try to make myself seem like a hero. Those who are close to me, you know, like I miss it on this stuff all the time. In fact, I'm kind of breaking one of my own rules right now. I told her the preachers like, like never share a story that makes you look good. Like like it seems like you're bragging. So I'm kind of breaking my own rule right now. And I don't, I'm in no way sharing that because I want you to think I'm amazing because I'm not. But the reason I share that is just to say this. It is so important. It is so important that we actually take this practice seriously. Because when we open up our home to strangers, we make the gospel tangible to them. And if you're like, well, what is it about this that makes the gospel so tangible? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Listen to this word. And you were strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the book of Hebrews. That's what the preacher's just been saying. He's like, look, at one point, remember the Old Testament, we talked about this at length, right? Like, like unless you were a priest, you couldn't go into the presence of God. You couldn't enter into the temple. You had to stand far off as a stranger from God. But because of Jesus, because he shed his blood for you and for me, we now get to enter into the presence of God. He welcomes us into his very life. And you got to get this today. Listen, anytime God does something to you, he wants to do something through you. If God blesses you, he blesses you to be a blessing. He wants to do through you what he's already done in you so that other people can experience what you have experienced. And at the very least, 
what I think this means for us as a church is at the very least, we should be amazing at hospitality on Sundays. Like there should not be one stranger, or the word we use is guest, because stranger seems weird, right? You think like stranger danger, all that sort of thing like. But there should not be one stranger, one guest that walks into our building without feeling loved by us. And unfortunately, like, and I think part of this is, is, is happened during COVID. Part of it's because we went to two services. That's not always the testimony of people who visit our church anymore. Um, this has become a challenge, I think, for us for different reasons. But I've, I've heard two different people say in the past uh, couple of weeks that, that they've been coming for a length of time and that no one has come to greet them whenever they're sitting in their seat. No one's really talked to them. Like maybe they got a little high at the door or whatever, but no one's actually gone out of their way to try to connect with them. And listen, like, I took up for y'all whenever they told me that. Because I really believe, like, everybody here, like, that I know, like, you genuinely do love God. And you love people. Like, there's nobody in our church that I know of that is intentionally, like, trying to be a jerk or cold-hearted or doesn't care about the other people in this room. But what I think has happened is, and I've heard this a lot, is people use this as an excuse. Well, I don't know who are the visitors and who's not a visitor. Because we have two services. Like, I see someone, I don't recognize them, and I'm like, well, maybe they've been going to the other service, and I don't want it to feel weird if I go to them. And, look... Set that aside. You don't have to go up to them and be like, hey, are you a guest? Is this your first time here? Just go up and say, hey, I've seen you before. Maybe I haven't seen you before. I just want to introduce myself to you. My name is, and just be a good human. Just smile at them and just introduce yourself and, and see where the conversation goes. It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be super in-depth. You don't have to like go through the scriptures with them or share the gospel with them. Just be a good human. Like Just welcome people. And if you're afraid, like, well, what if they're an introvert? And what if that freaks them out and they decide to leave? Well, I would, I would much rather people leave this church because they felt too loved than not loved enough. Okay? So, listen, as of today, if you're a member of this church, you're on the hospitality team. Okay? <laughs> by, by default, you are all on the hospitality team. Let's look for lonely people. Let's look for people who are sitting by themselves. Let's look for people who you don't recognize, and let's go to them, and let's care for them. Now, that's what it should, this should mean at the very least. But really, if we're just settling for ba- even baseline Christianity, it should be more than that. Because according to this passage, if we're going to keep Christianity weird, not just do we need to welcome people into our building, we need to welcome strangers into our home. And by doing so, look what the preacher says might happen. He says, show hospitality to to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. What is that about? Well, he's referencing Genesis 18, where Abraham welcomed three strangers into his home to give them some refreshment. And come to find out they were angels. He didn't know that when he invited them in the home, but they ended up being angels. And so what I think the preacher's trying to say here is not walk around being like, is that an angel? Is that an angel? Is that an angel? Is that an angel? Like, like... Like, that's not what he's trying to get you to do. But what he is saying is, look, when you take a risk on this and you welcome someone into your life who can do nothing for you, you might be welcoming an angel. You might, by pouring out in a way that is not natural for you or comfortable for you, you might just receive God pouring back into you in a supernatural way. He might be ministering to you through his very angels. That's how serious he takes this thing. So love like family. Show hospitality. Third, practice empathy. Verse 3, consider to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, this is a struggle for us. I read in an article this past week, it was actually entitled, um, Is Empathy Dead in America? That was the title. And in the column, it was reported that 75% of Americans say they experience little to no empathy from others. 
while an additional 42% said they feel like empathy is on the decline in our country. And it totally is, thanks to social media and narcissism and all kinds of other stuff. But when you think of empathy, it's important you don't think of sympathy because they're different. And Brene Brown does a great job of, of, of uh, talking about the difference between these two. She has a clip on YouTube. I think it's like two minutes long. But she says sympathy is when you see someone in a pit and you walk by and you say, man, that looks really rough. Want a sandwich? You know, and then you just like walk on your way. That's sympathy. Empathy doesn't just look and say, wow, that looks really bad. I'm sorry. But no, empathy actually gets down in the pit with them. Empathy says, I'm going to put myself in the place of another person. I'm going to try to feel what they are feeling. And man, this is something, guys, we really need to grow in. I need to grow in. It's really, really easy for me to empathize with people who suffered the way I have or have had the life that I've had. It's really hard for me to empathize with people who aren't like me. When I was growing up in this town, I grew up as a white middle-class kid. And I'm just going to be honest with you, and I'm going to confess this. Like, I didn't know anything about other than just white middle-class life. I didn't know anything about poverty. I didn't know anything about addiction. I didn't know anything about any of that kind of stuff. And so as a result, because I kind of looked at all that from a distance, I would judge people who were different than me. And then I worked at Arkansas Counseling for five years, and I got into the, 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 the stories of some of the people that I used to judge, and I realized, man, if I, had, if I had walked in their life and walked in the shoes they had walked in, I would probably be worse than they were. We've got to learn how to empathize with people who don't look like us, act like us, think like us. Stop judging. Put yourself in their place. Feel what they're feeling. When the preacher says, remember those in prison as if you were together with them and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering, he's saying, show some empathy. Put yourself in their place so that as the opportunity arises, you can treat them the way you'd want to be treated. And Jesus has a lot to say about this. He actually comes down very hard on those who do not live in this way. In Matthew 26, he's actually, you can go read this on your own later, he's talking about the difference between those who think they're Christians and those who are actually Christians, between the goats and the sheep. And what he says is this. Basically, he says to the goats, how I know you're a goat, how I know you're not a true Christian, is you don't love the least of these. It's literally what Jesus says. And, and then he goes on in this illustration. He says this to the goats. He says this, to those who think they're Christians but are not, this is Jesus' words, Matthew 26, 42 through 45. He says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. Listen to this. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison. You did not look after me. And they, talking about those who think they're Christians but aren't, will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? And Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. See how important this is to Jesus, this idea of showing empathy, of getting in people's lives and seeking to, to meet them where they are. And so with that, if we're going to keep Christianity weird, if we're going to stand out rather than blending in in a country where empathy is on decline, we need to choose another way to live. We need to stop turning a blind eye to the needs of people in our own community and in our own church especially. And we need to meet people where they are with love and compassion and the exact same mercy that God has extended to us. Fourth, if we're going to stand out in a way that people get to experience a taste of heaven right here, if we're going to be a city on a hill, we need to pursue purity. We need to pursue purity. Verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. <clears throat> for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. There's a lot I can say on this. Um, 
but my wife told me yesterday to keep it short and keep it appropriate. So I'm going to try to do both. Um, let me say this. First off, God is not a celestial killjoy. God actually wants you to have a good life. God actually wants you to experience pleasure. How do I know that's true? Because he made sex. Now, there's other ways we know that, but this is at least one big way. And I want you to think about this. And by the way, if you're getting a little nervous about the sex talk and where's this going to go and all that, we need to redeem sex. Like, sex is not bad. Sex is very good because it was created by God. It was his idea. And God made us sexual before we were sinful. And God didn't just make sex for procreation. Think about that. He didn't just make that for procreation. He also made it for pleasure. How do I know that? Well, I'm not going to go into an anatomy lesson, but we could talk about that if you want to. You realize God designed the body with certain pleasure sensors that literally only exists, exists for pleasure. That's God's idea. It was not Satan's idea. Like God wants us to have pleasure. Here's what I want you to realize. Sex is pleasurable, but sex is also very, very powerful. Despite what the world will tell you, sex is not just play for grown-ups. Sex is a bonding agent that makes two people one flesh in a way that cannot be undone. And this is why the Apostle Paul says that you are to flee sexual immorality. The Greek word there for sexual immorality is the Greek word pornonia. It's the same word used right here in Hebrews 13.4. It's where we get our English word, pornography. And so he says you need to flee sexual immorality why because every sin that a person does is outside of their body but that ain't the way it works with sexual morality when you commit sexual morality you commit a sin against your own body which means you do damage to yourself you do damage to the person for sure but you also do damage to yourself i remember matt chandler years ago i heard him say he was in a premarital counseling session and, and there was a couple that was having premarital sex and and he said to this girl he said look i know you're having a hard time you're having a hard time being pure and you just need to remember that, that every time you have sex with one another what you're saying is i love your body but i hate your soul yeah. pretty like oh like, kind of get you a little bit right but like he's getting that from this right here that when we commit sexual morality like it does damage there's consequences there are negative side effects that occur as a result of this sin i've used this illustration before i don't remember where i got it from or i give the person credit for it but sex is like fire is fire bad or is fire good? Yeah. It can be both. It depends on what boundary it's in. If fire is within a boundary, think of fireplace, it'll warm a house up. But if it moves outside of that boundary, it's going to burn the house down. And it's the exact same way when it comes to sex. According to the Bible, the only boundary that is strong enough to hold this, this powerful and this pleasurable thing called sex, the only place that can hold that is marriage. That's it. It's the only place that can hold it without burning your life down. It's the only place that holds it in a way it's going to feel like it's for your good and for God's glory. And so with that in mind, if we want to help make this world, help make your homes less like hell and more like heaven, take your pursuit of holiness seriously. Even if your spouse doesn't know you're looking at pornography. And I know there are those of you in here that are struggling with pornography, men and women alike. First off, my heart goes out to you. That is a real battle. It's very difficult. There's a lot of reasons for why maybe you're struggling with it. But listen, you just need to know, like, like, even if nobody else knows about that, that is hurting you. And it's hurting others because we're all connected. We're all part of the body of Christ. Like, our, my sin affects you and your sin affects me. 
And so we need to take this seriously. Paul says in Ephesians 5.3 that there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality in your life. Not even a hint. Like he's like, there shouldn't be even a little bit of it. Why? Because again, it's like fire. And if you play with fire, eventually you're going to get burnt. And so in a culture that is loaded with lust, let's be a people who pursue purity. And then lastly, he says, if you want to keep Christianity weird, if you want to stand out in a way that is for our good and God's glory, give generously. Give generously. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, I know that all of us in here want to be content. We all want to be happy. And we need to realize today that more stuff doesn't necessarily equal more happiness. I was... uh, reading this past week about Elon Musk, who is now the richest man on the planet. He currently is valued at $234 billion. He makes nearly $2 million an hour, which means in a week's worth time, he makes enough money to buy the New York Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys, the LA Lakers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Manchester United, and start an airline. In 10 years, it's estimated that he'll be worth $3 trillion, which is more money than we currently have circulating in the United States of America. And yet, he has gone on record as saying, quote, I have great highs and terrible lows and unrelenting stress. I often have to make a choice between no sleep or Ambien. Guys, the American dream is a lie. More stuff does not equal more happiness. Jesus says in Acts twenty thirty five. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The Greek word that he uses for blessed there, it's the Greek word makarios. It means happy. And so what he is literally saying, Jesus says the happiest people on the planet are the most generous people on the planet. The happiest people on the planet are those who live free from the love of money. And if you're like, well, how do I live free from the love of money? Well, you give it away. You live with an open hand rather than a closed hand. Guys, if God has given you a job, please listen, if God has given you a job, if he's given you a source of income, he wants you to be generous with that. Again, he's blessed you to be a blessing. We should not approach our money with, I've got this, it's all mine, and now I get to do whatever I want with it, whenever I want, however I want. The Bible is very clear. And listen, if you're not a Christian, forget what I'm saying here. This is not about you, okay? But if you're a Christian, you just need to know this kind of stuff. And then you just need to decide, is this the Jesus you want to follow or not? Like according to the Bible, we are called to give our money to specific places. And I'm not going to preach a whole sermon on this, but we are called to give to the church. If you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, we don't want anything from you. God doesn't want anything from you. But if this is your family, you're called to contribute. One of the ways that you do this in the scripture is he calls us to give 10% to the local church, for leadership, for equipping, for the sake of the mission. We're called to, to give to our brothers and sisters whenever there's a need, to live with enough margin that we're not like, oh, you know, my wife just got a new job at Green County Tech. And it's like the first, and my first instinct is like, oh, if you're going to make this much money, like let's make sure and assign it a place for it to go. And it's like, man, like, like, no, we need to live with some margin. We don't need to live like spending everything we've got. We need to live with margin because we need to be able to give to the poor. God, we need to be able to give to those who are in need. Right? We need to make sure we're taking care of our own household, sure, but there's these other areas that God clearly commands us to give our money. And so listen, guys, in a culture that is, that is stingy with money and promiscuous with our bodies, what would, how would the city be different if we lived actually stingy with our bodies but promiscuous with our money? Like imagine a church where people couldn't keep their wallet in their pants. 
you know that's a reality, right? Like, like Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 is talking about the Macedonian churches who was dirt poor and were suffering. And he said, out of your poverty and your suffering, you gave beyond your means. Paul actually went to the Macedonian churches and said, hey, but you guys stop giving so much, please. And they wouldn't stop giving. I've never had that problem. I would love to know how to navigate it. How was that possible? Because their hearts had been wrecked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's ultimately how we're going to get to this place where we're going to be a weird church, where we're going to be a peculiar people, as the Bible calls it. It's not through trying harder to be better. It's through being wrecked by the gospel. And so let me just say this. If we're going to get there, if we're going to be a people who, who are marked by love and hospitality and empathy and purity and generosity, I think there's a practical thing they need, and then we'll talk about the gospel. But practically, what I think this means for us as a church is if you're not in a missional community, you really need to get involved in a missional community. And if you don't want to get involved in a missional community here, fine, but please find a church where you can get involved beyond the Sunday morning experience. And I know that's scary. I know it's so scary. I know it's hard. I know that creates anxiety. I know, and, and we'll, we'll meet you where you are, and we'll hold your hand through it, and we're, we'll try to make it as safe as a transition, as good of a transition for you as possible, but you need to get involved in a missional community. I don't know how you do any of this stuff if you just show up on a Sunday morning and pass people in the hallway. I don't know how you do it. Like, how can you show, how can you have a stranger in your home? How can you love somebody in a way that demands a gospel explanation? How can you show empathy whenever someone's hurting? How do you even know what their needs are? How do you know someone else is hurting around you in this church? How are you held accountable with things like purity and, and, and what you're doing financially if you don't have people, brothers and sisters around you to actually hold you accountable? I don't know how you do this apart from community. And if you're here and you're like, yeah, but I just really don't want that. Like, it seems like a lot of work. It seems like a lot of sacrifice and commitment. It seems risky. Maybe some of you are like, I tried that before and I got burnt big time. Besides that, like, I'm really busy. I've got a lot going on. And so to be honest, Jared, like, I just want to show up here and treat the church like a kind of a place where I get some spiritual content dumped into me a couple times a month. And then I really want to do my own thing throughout the week. Like, if that's where you are, I just want to say this with all the love of my heart. According to the Bible, you're settling for a counterfeit version of Christianity. A version that is weak and pitiful and boring and dull and disobedient to the Scriptures. And if that is where you are this morning, listen, I want you to know I love you. I am glad that you're here, and I truly mean that. There is no condemnation for me if that's where you are in this season of life. None whatsoever. And you won't hear anybody else. I won't talk bad about you. No one else in this church is going to talk bad about you. It's not a place where we're going to gossip about one another, who's in community, who's not in community, right? So, like, please know you're welcome here. But my prayer for you has been that your heart will be so radically transformed by the gospel, that, that you will be so amazed by the grace of God that's been poured out for you through Christ that you will come to a place where you stop settling for American religion and you embrace authentic Christianity. And this is really where the preacher ends. And we're all in a day in verse 7 through verse 9. He says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Once again, that's what I'm trying to do the best I can to speak the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9, do not be carried away by all the kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts, here it is, to be strengthened by grace. Not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. So how do we get to this place? 
how do we become a peculiar people? How do we make Christianity weird again? All right? How do we do this? How do we live in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation? Well, it's through the gospel. It's through remembering the grace of God. It's through remembering. I'm not saved by my performance. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved because I actually could not be good enough to work my way into the presence of God. And because God knew that, he worked his way to us. He became flesh. He came and he laid down his very life for us. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that right now, right now, if you are in Christ, you can know no matter what you have done this week, the presence of the loving God is surrounding you and he is loving you and there is nothing, nothing, nothing you can ever do to separate you from that love. This is what the preacher is getting at in verse 5 when he says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because look at this, because God said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Earlier this week, our kids went to Centrakid, a little kids camp in Walnut Ridge, and um, our, our daughter, Nora, our oldest kid, got a chance to go, and I was actually on a retreat with some pastors, uh, and so I didn't get a chance to connect with her, but she called Megan, and she was like, I just experienced the presence of God. And, um, and we've been talking with our kids a lot about God and faith and what it means to follow Jesus. And we've told our kids many times, like, hey, you don't, just because dad and mom follow Jesus doesn't mean you have to follow Jesus. We'll love you no matter what. So it's not like we're trying to force anything on them. And we've also tried to tell them several times. We've talked about baptism, like, should we be baptized or not? We try to tell our kids, like, look, there is a great cost to following Jesus. We just want you to count that cost before you do this. And anyways, we've had these talks, and, but Nora, she calls Megan, and she's in tears, and she was like, I just experienced the tangible presence of God. She said, I just, I'm so overwhelmed with joy. That was, her, that was her exact phrase. I'm overwhelmed with joy. And she said that when I experienced God's presence, I wasn't homesick anymore. I didn't feel like I had to be back home with mom and dad anymore. I didn't worry about what anybody else around me thought anymore. So I felt like I could raise my hand and worship. And I, you know, like, like she was completely set free from the presence of God. And listen, like, man, like, this is what God's presence does when you experience it. Whether you're an 11-year-old girl or you are a 50-year-old man, whoever it is, like, when we experience the presence of God, when we know that he is with us, rather than living anxious and afraid and consumed by what everybody else around us, th- around us thinks, we can experience a level of contentment and joy and peace that radically transforms us from the inside out. And I know, listen, sometimes it is hard to believe that God is with you, isn't it? Sometimes you just don't feel the presence of God. And there's times in my own life where it's like, despite the fact I get up and read the Bible every morning, and I pray, and I'm a pastor, and I do all these things, and I sing. Like, there's times where, honestly, like, I don't see God working. I don't, I, don't, I don't hear His voice. I don't feel His presence. Sometimes we're just there. And God knows that. That's why this little line right here, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that's why God says it over 60 different times in the Bible. Why would God have to repeat this 60 different times? Because we forget. Do you remember the story of, of, of Israel? Right after God parted the Red Sea. They walk across dry land. And the enemy Egyptian army behind them, the most powerful army in the world, was crushed by those exact ways. It says they saw the Egyptian, the dead bodies of the Egyptian army wash up on the seashore that day. 
And yet God says to them, hey, remember, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Why in the world would he have to say that to them right after a miracle like that? Because we don't always live on the edge of the Red Sea. Sometimes we live in the wilderness. And it's in those seasons we tend to forget that God is with us. But let me just tell you, man, like your feelings will deceive you. There is more, guys, going on right now than meets the eye, than what you can feel, touch, or taste. And that is why God has to constantly remind us over and over again, even if you don't feel me moving, even if you don't see me working, I am there. And if you are a Christian, listen, nothing will ever separate you from his love. Some of you in here today, you do not experience the presence of God in your life. Some of you in here, you do not know God as a loving father. You do not experience God in that way. Matter of fact, Sunday morning for you is probably the way it was for me growing up. It's just an information dump. Like you, you think about God, you talk about God, you sing about God, but you don't really experience God. And I think some of that, honestly, is I think about Father's Day is because some of you have had really terrible fathers, honestly. Some of you have had absent dads in your life. I'm very, 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 very sorry that's been the case. That is not the way it was meant to be. Very sorry. I just want you to know today, like, God, the reason that hurts so much for some of you is because you long for a perfect father. And only God can be that perfect father for you. And he wants to be that perfect father for you. He wants you to experience him in this way. And if you're like, well, how can I know that God will never leave me? My dad left me. Like, if my dad was absent, how can I know that God will never leave me? He'll never forsake me. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross, and at the cross, in the only place ever in the Bible, rather than calling God his Father, he just called him God. Do you remember that story? On the cross, he said, my God, my God, not my Father, my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by his Father so that you never have to be. Jesus went and he took the wrath of God, the punishment of God, the separation from God so you can know no matter what you have done this week, if you're in Christ, you will not be separated from his love. You not love somebody well this week? Doesn't separate you from the love of God. Not been great at showing hospitality? It's not going to separate you from the love of God. Not great at showing empathy? Not been pure? Looked at porn last night actually? been greedy with your money, been, been, been trying to build up your own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God, still doesn't separate you from the love of God. If you're in Christ right now, you are loved perfectly, completely unconditionally. And it's from that place, not to earn God's love, but because we've already been loved, that's whenever we begin to live as these weird people. They give testimony to how good our God is. With that, I'm going to invite our band to come forward. And I want to pray for each of you. So if you will, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. I want to pray for us and then we'll sing a couple songs and worship and we'll take communion and then we'll be dismissed. I want you to right now just, I don't have to talk to God for you, you talk to God. You have access right now to him and so just in your heart I would encourage you to, if it's easier for you to talk to the Father, talk to the Father. If it's easier for you to talk to Jesus, talk to Jesus. If it's easier for you to talk to the Spirit, talk to the Spirit. And just say, God, what is it that you want me to take away from the message today? What is it that you're inviting me into? 
See, for everybody in here, my guess is if I asked 10 different people today, what was your takeaway from the message, there would probably be 10 different responses. And so that's the Spirit's work. He wants to minister to you today in a unique and special way. And so just take a moment. What is it you're calling me into? What is the invitation? Father, I thank you so much for each one who is here this morning, for those who are listening online. And I pray that right now, through your Holy Spirit, that you will align our hearts with yours, that you will help silence the voice of condemnation, silence the voice of shame and guilt, and that we will receive your love, that we will receive your grace, your mercy, in a fresh and life-transforming way. If there's anybody here today that does not know you, Maybe they know about you, but they don't know you personally, experience you as a loving father. I pray that right now that you would just open their eyes and see you as you really are. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and ask these things. Amen.